0: Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. I'm here today with James Carriako. He is an esteemed member of the Goleta City Council, but I've really known James. I don't even know how long anymore. It's been probably close to 20 years because he's had a long storied career in Santa Barbara. He's one of these guys who knows a little bit about everybody in town even though he uh, he may downplay that, but James is just full of knowledge and information and historical context, and I'm really looking forward to sitting down and talking with him today. James Carriaco, how are you?
1: I'm doing great, uh, Josh. Thank you for uh, for having me on the show. I'm just James, Uh, but you know we've been we've been dueling and uh, working uh, working collaboratively over uh, a number of years in a variety of ways. So this is. uh, this is a this is very different and it's a treat.
0: Yeah. I mean early on, you know, when you have young journalists versus young political consultant, it's that jousting game that you have to do of, Oh, I need to get the journalist on my side and the journalist is like, I need him on my side because he's gonna help me write better stories and that's like this great dance that happens. And then of course though you don't always see things eye to eye. And so one of the things I've always appreciated about you though is you've always been honest and direct and even though you're representing your you in the past when you had clients that you were representing you always told the truth which is something a journalist really appreciates we can we could deal with spin angles perspective but it's when political consultants lie to you and you find out and you're like I can't trust anything and now I'm going to rethink everything you've ever told me but that's not you you're one of these guys who really cares about the community and you care about the clients and you take on clients that you really support, and now you're on the Galita City Council. So, let's let's dive in and talk right away, James, about what's what's going on uh, in Galita. Okay, we've Sounds got good. we've got a mayor's race in Galita, and these are your colleagues. What's exciting to you about the Galita mayor's race? What, what's at stake? What's interesting here about what's going on?
1: I, I think the most interesting thing for me that's going on right now is I'm the only member of my city council that's not on the ballot. So it's, <laughs> so it's a great relief to me uh, in many respects to be able to um, to kind of just sit back in the passenger seat and just kind of watch it all unfold because these are these are my colleagues that are running for mayor. We have um, an incumbent mayor, Paulo Perotti, uh, who I've known for many years. I've I've supported her in the past. I support her now. Full transparency. Support her now. Um, you know, and I think that she's doing a good job, and I think the city is largely on the right track. Um, but then I also have my colleague uh, Roger Aceves, who um, I've known for many years. I've known him uh, longer than most people that I know in local politics, and um, you know, selfishly for me, it's a, you know a, a case of you know, the only way I get to keep them both is if Paula wins re-election, because Roger still has two years remaining on his Galita City Council terms. So, um, you know, I hope that we maintain the status quo in terms of how the election goes. Um, but it is definitely shaping up to be, just saying this as an observer, um, it's shaping up to be a very interesting race, because on the one hand, you have um, Paula, who. I think has been um, you know, a popular mayor and she was reelected pretty easily two years ago. Uh, we still have two year terms for mayor, which is a whole other conversation. <laughs> um, and you know, she's up for reelection again. And you know the, all of the different local organizations from the Sierra Club, uh, to the League of Conservation Voters to the deputy sheriffs and firefighters have all kind of turned, turned around and said, you're the person we want to work with, um, but by the same token, uh, you know Roger is certainly not going to go quietly into the good night. And he's an experienced campaigner. He's run for county supervisor before. He's run run for county sheriff before. He's he's a veteran of many local elections, and he competes hard. And he is going to be very well resourced. And it's going to be it's going to be a tough race.
0: What are the issues in Galita from your perspective? If you're I know you're not advising anybody in this race, but you know, I grew up in Goleta and I love Galita. It is the good land. I, I just feel more comfortable breathing the air in the places where I grew up. It's sort of a weird thing. Obviously, I could go other places and work and have, but you always come home, you know, and Galita's got this special, unique quality. So when you think about a contentious mayor's race, right? What are the issues? What are they really arguing? How are they different? You know, I
1: think that there are some fundamental differences between them. I think that um, Roger is, on balance, more likely to support um, additional growth, um, additional housing, and is arguably less focused on some of the details like is the housing affordable, you know, what, you know, how accessible would it be to local. Uh, local folks, as opposed to just let the market decide. Uh, he's been um, he's been a proponent of um, more housing, but also more market rate housing. And I think Paula has been more reserved in her support for more housing, um, except in those instances where there is affordability included. Um, for example, I'll uh, give you a great example: the Hollister Village development. It's a, a mixed use. A development that is directly it's the it's the space that's directly across the street for people that don't don't know galita that well it's the place across the street from where costco and everything else is <laughs> yeah. and home depot so it's the one on the other side and there's a janine's there and um, and some other shops and then right behind that there's a big housing development and um, you know paula was the one member of the city council in 2010 that said she didn't like that development In part because it was there wasn't enough affordability and just didn't like she thought that it was a lot of a lot of development for very little affordability because it was going to be all market rate Um, and roger voted for that project but then later on um, they did most of the project and then there is this one parcel called the triangle property and they had originally intended the developer westar had intended to develop that originally as a few live-work units. So it would have been like, you know, you work on the downstairs, and then you live on the upstairs. And then there was going to be about like 10,000 square feet of commercial space, and that would be like another shop, you know, maybe another chain store. And the developer approached us about doing um, more housing there instead, a, a mix of studio apartments, which we don't have a lot of in Goleta, mm-hmm. and one bedrooms. And when they agreed to make a number of them affordable, actually price-restricted affordable, um, you know, Paula was willing to support that, as was I, because by that point, I was on the council. So I really think that's the difference. She's, she's not anti-housing. She's, she's for housing where she feels like it makes the most sense. So infill, some affordability, because there is that opportunity cost if you just build more housing and you're not putting in controls and restrictions to ensure it really is truly accessible. there's the opportunity cost of something else is going there, you know. And if it's um, you know, and if it's more market rate housing, those folks, you know, are probably paying for more different types of services, low wage jobs, and then that create that further. Um, strengthens that jobs housing imbalance that we have um, in a negative in a negative fashion so we really need a diversity of housing types for our hopefully increasingly diverse community if we want to have a diverse community if we want to have more of the folks that grew up here be able to stay here we need to provide housing but you have to be smart about it and i feel like she's better on that issue so that would be that would be one of the main differences that mm-hmm. you were talking about issues. Um, so I think housing uh, and growth um, is one big one. Um, another defining difference. Um, I think that on balance, she's probably been a little bit stronger on environmental issues, opposition to offshore oil, uh, onshore oil drilling and tankering. Um, I think that. When it comes to things like ensuring that we have strong uh, creek setback protections, so that you know, if we find ourselves, hopefully, you know, if we ever find ourselves in another situation where we're going to have debris flows in this community, we should be pushing to have our development as far away from these these creek ways as possible, because they are they are a magnet for debris flows, and the more setback development is from from creeks, the better water quality you have, the safer it is and hopefully um, it makes it a more attractive place to live and that is better for everybody. So those would be kind of the, the main things that are at least on my mind right now as we're sitting here.
0: You know, you talk about housing and obviously I live in a home, you live in a home, so it sounds really bad to say, like from my perspective, man, there's been so much new housing in Goleta, it's ridiculous, (laughs) because you you can say, well, you live in a house, you know, if it wasn't for somebody who built a house, you wouldn't have a place to be. But I gotta tell you, like, all that housing development that went in, and you talk about Hollister Village, (laughs) you know, and there's the stuff on Los Canarios, like, there's so much more traffic in Goleta by that Costco area. And it's, you know, so we live in Goleta, we don't live in LA, by comparison, of course, it's nothing like that, but, as a practical matter, it makes a difference when you're taking your kid to school. You're driving them. Um, this this time adds up over the course of your day. So I think that's one of the biggest changes that I've seen in Goleta is that there's so much development on that north end. And uh, of course, yeah, we go to Costco and the Target. Yeah. So it's like it's this thing where it's it's a little bit good and it's a little bit bad. You know, it's like we, yeah. we have to grow. We have these services, but man those are the lights at stork in the hollister oh my goodness it it, they take so long and sometimes you don't even make it through by the time it changes again and so i when i think of leadership i think of how can somebody in the galita council figure out a way to facilitate galita's growth without having the entire town turn into orange county and that's like an exaggeration but I mean, you have to guard against that it, stuff. It's a frequent talking
1: point in in Goleta. There used to be um, there used to be shirts and stickers that um, people would put on their cars and wear that would say either "Keep Galita Country" or "Keep LA hundred miles away." <laughs> uh, I, I, you still see them, yeah. and you know. I think that we when when you're a policymaker, it's really easy when you're you know a, a recovering political consultant like myself. <laughs> To you know, to weaponize issues or to talk about issues in a way that you know um, evokes certain emotions from people and from voters. But when you're in the chair, uh, or in this, these cases now, the, the virtual chair, um, you're having and you're having to make the policy calls. It's it's very different because on the one hand, you know, everyone says they want balance. They want a balanced solution. We want to effectively balance the need for more housing with preserving the ca- unique character and small town feel of Goleta. Um, I still to this day will resist anyone that tries to tell me Galita is a suburb. It's not a suburb. <laughs> uh, it is its own unique place. Yeah. And it has its own unique identity. But one person's idea of balance is, can be very different from another person's balance. For some people it's let's keep it exactly the way it looked in 1965 mm-hmm. or 1980. And other people, what they want is more gradual growth. They want it keeping up with our ability to, you know, to support it with our resources, whether it's water, you know, preserving views, because there are there are people that do really care about preserving those mountain and ocean views. And so, you know, you know, we all have this this different idea of what is balance. One thing that Galita used to have that it doesn't have now is what was called the GGMO, the Goleta Growth Management Ordinance. Mm. And it was basically, for all intents and purposes, it was a pacing ordinance. It said, it was a it was a holdover from the county, and it stipulated that you could only have so much actual on-the-ground growth happening at any one time. What's happened in Goleta is growth that got approved in 2008, 2010, 2012, The recession kind of bottlenecked a lot of things or uh, you know the great giant dam that was built in China and was sucking up all the you know all the materials like um, a lot of the construction materials really kind of put a hold on a lot of development and then just suddenly it just started you know it all just kind of started coming at the same time and it really created a backlash in Glita because I think the bargain that the average Galita voter believes is, you know, we're willing, you know, we're not NIMBYs, we're, we don't want no housing, we don't want no growth, we want slow growth, some would say they want carefully managed growth and balanced growth. So when they have a whole bunch of things coming in all at once, it's easy to make those kinds of voters feel like the basic bargain is broken. And that the deal that they had made of like, we'll support growth, we'll do our part because we understand this is an issue and we want our kids and grandkids to be able to live here. But we don't want to be, you know, building everyone else's housing for them too. Mm -hmm. And we don't, we certainly don't want it to feel, it's almost like the, you know, the boiling frog versus the water being turned up gradually, right? So Mm -hmm. you're going to notice it a lot more if you have a a big change all at once. And I think that until recently, we had a lot of growth happening all at once. Yeah. And it was growth that was uh, okay. approved mostly by prior city councils going Is that back like a few the, years. Eric years the Eric Honen The Eric Honen Bennett Aceves group. Yeah. Right,
0: right. Okay. Yeah. So, Galita is so fascinating to me because we've got that part of Galita, and I live in that area. So, that's mostly the Galita that I frequent. Mm-hmm. But I grew up all over Galita, and the Galita I grew up with mostly was Old Town Galita. And so, when I go to Old Town Goleta, I look around and I'm like, this kind of looks pretty much like it used to look when I was a kid, with obviously some variation. What's going on with Old Town Goleta? The last time I did a story on Old Town Goleta, they were talking about angled parking, removing some of the parking, uh, bike lanes, uh, whatever they talk about, Old Town is Old Town. so. How do we have what we have over there at the north end and Old Town sort of stuck in time? Yeah, there's a lot happening in Old
1: Town and there's a lot not happening in Old Town. (laughs) Uh, That's, I think, the the fairest way to characterize it. Um, The good things that are happening in Old Town, um, a lot of them are happening off of Hollister. So a lot of people, when they think of Old Town, they think of this stretch of Hollister Avenue where the, they leave the 217 freeway, uh, which would go to UCSB or the airport, uh, and continue uh, towards Fairview. Yeah. And that's, to them, Old Town. So the, those frontages and those businesses. And for them, that's really where Old Town is and exists. But there's an Old Town that is a little bit to the north of Hollister, and there's an Old Town that's a little bit to the south of Hollister. And there are good things happening and a lot of things happening on both sides of Holster. Mm-hmm. So um, bicycle uh, lane improvements. Um, we're going to make it easier for people to actually go from north of the freeway to south of the freeway and actually ride their bike to the beach or be able to walk to the beach without having to go you know, along an overpass or something. Mm-hmm. Um, we have increased um infrastructure in terms of the sidewalk. So there've been a lot of sidewalk improvements. Um, there there were a lot of places in Old Town, particularly uh, just north of Hollister, where it really more closely resembled Isla Vista in the, from the standpoint of you had to walk in the street if you wanted to walk to the store. Yeah, You just, you didn't have a choice. We didn't have sidewalks. And a lot of that stemmed from just the way Old Town was planned, because it is older. And so streets were narrower. And, you know, you had these kind of little bungalows, you know, mixed in with some apartment complexes and things just weren't really sized right. And so there's a lot of things that we're doing, including some angled um, parking that is off the main drag of Hollister that is going to improve the lives of people living in Old Town. Uh, Now, let's talk a little bit about what's not happening in Old Town. And what's not happening in Old Town is really fulfilling the vision that, different community efforts have, um, have called for. You know, we've had Old Town community plans before and associations and, uh, you know, going back to even before cityhood, there were um, countywide efforts that were focused on empowering the Old Town neighborhood. And to a certain extent, it's going to sound like an excuse. So I'll just acknowledge that in this space. It's going to sound like an excuse, but the resources haven't met the moment. And what I mean by that is we we had a redevelopment agency. And then for reasons that were both necessary and infuriating, um, redevelopment went away. Mm-hmm. And so there was this thing that we can talk about, if you like, called the Revenue Neutrality Agreement that was essentially the bargain between the voters of the city of Goleta and the, the county of Santa Barbara that said as part of your separation, you can't expand redevelopment for a certain period of time, uh, the Old Town area, and you also can't do any new redevelopment agency areas in Goleta for a certain period of time because that would sap some resources away from the county. Yeah. And so once we got out of that period and we were kind of ready to rock and roll, we did the Sumita Gardens housing project, mm-hmm. and we started planning for a park in Old Town, which is now Johnny Wallace Park. And then things came to grinding to a halt because redevelopment ended. So fast forward to today, you know, we're recovering from—in some ways, we're recovering from that, along with the fact that there have been two or maybe even three recessions in Galitas history, and we've only been around since two thousand two.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you
1: know, which can make things harder for a new city. Mm-hmm. And so now we find ourselves today, and we had another community effort, which I was very happy about as a private citizen because I wasn't part of the organizing of it. I wasn't on the council at the time. And that was the Complete Streets Initiative. So our transportation folks wrote a grant, got it approved, and it was basically a community, community visioning process. Stakeholders got together, vendors, business owners, residents, consumers, bicycle advocates, you name it, People got together and said, these are the things that we would like to see happening along the Hollister corridor. So now we're getting to the actual corridor, the part that feels like it's stuck in time. And we're getting ready to hear a report on how that effort went, but the grant doesn't cover the construction. Mm. And so, you know, my colleague, uh, Stuart Kasdan, likes to say that budgeting is about priorities. So how much, of a, how much of a priority is it to have Old Town stay stuck in time
0: mm-hmm.
1: versus really advancing one of the three options? So there was an option that was basically a beautification option it wouldn't really fundamentally change the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there would be resources to improve frontages. There would be resources for tree plantings and things like that. Um, It would be more of a beautification. Mm -hmm. And then there were two different initiatives that would result in widening the sidewalk, um, changing the parking configuration, and depending on which of the options you preferred, there would either be a a very, very dedicated and well-protected bike lane or more of a clear designated bike lane but with perhaps a little bit less infrastructure and shielding. And one of those options include back in parking, and one Mm -hmm. of them didn't. Mm -hmm. And so... The opportunity, as I see it, and I voiced this recently at a meeting, I think the opportunity with COVID, because we don't have the same opportunity that the city of Santa Barbara had, where they can just close off State Street and say, let's turn this into a pedestrian mall and really make it accessible to people walking around or riding their bikes. Hollister is our, our thoroughfare. It's how people get around.
0: Yeah. It's not really our State Street mm-hmm. um, in the same way. Um well, there's gas stations on Old Town too, and exactly and that's where you go to get the best gas deals. It's where you know. go to get your
1: gas. It's where you go to get your car fixed. It's yeah. where you go to get a good good cup of coffee. I won't name names, um, <laughs> but there's a you know there's a you know, there's some really good fa. There's some really good things in Old Town that would make you want to go. A great place to buy gift baskets I could go in on. Santa Cruz Market is awesome. Sorry, now I'm actually plugging people. Uh, I, I better stop because uh, now people are going to say, why didn't you mention you my business? Te-
0: you can get tested for COVID-19 can, in Old Town. You can to get
1: now. tested for COVID-19 <laughs> in Old Town now. You can uh, register for the census in Old Town.
0: But the but the
1: the two main failings, as I see it, are our failure to really uh, reinvigorate the Hollister Corridor and then our failure to more aggressively um, confront the deferred maintenance of the community center. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of love that that building needs and we're not, we're not showing the love to that building yet Mm -hmm. in the way we need to, and we need to make it more accessible. There are ADA improvements that need to happen. So there are some cans that are being kicked further down the road in light of COVID and the budget constraints that we're in now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you don't get what you don't pay for. If we, if we want to, reinvigorate the hollister corridor through the complete streets initiative we're going to have to pay for it and the money's going to have to come from somewhere Um, and there's different arguments about where that money should come from and how quickly we could get it and i'm happy to discuss those um, with you but the opportunity with covid right now is we could do demonstration projects Um, i called for this recently we could do a a low-tech version of each of the complete street proposals and try them out for people for a period of time. You can, you can create the conditions where more area for walking is blocked off and where you could create conditions where there is angled parking. You could do some of these things. It wouldn't cost as much money because it wouldn't be built permanent infrastructure. And then you could tr- go out to the community and you could ask them, well, this is what you initially said when we did the survey. Now you've had a chance to try it for a few months We're about to try something else that was proposed, but what did you think of this option? And then you could try it again and do that through each of the three um, proposals. And at the end of the day, you could have like real community buy-in and then go with a more permanent solution. And then that might better align with our fiscal uh, return to fiscal stability.
0: And it's tough because you want to keep Old Town special. Like I think that there's also a concern that if you fix Old Town, and you know, fix being a subjective word, but if you change Old Town or transform Old Town, that you might drive out a lot of the Latino community that basically supports Old Town and runs Old Town in terms of a, you know, a lot of the businesses there. And certainly Latinos live in the neighborhoods there on the other side of, 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 um, of Hollister. So, I mean, that's gotta be a challenge too, because we don't want it to look, like some other community. It's like, how do you keep what's great and special, but also you know, make the sidewalks a little wider, a little mm-hmm. safer so you can pass by right. you know, and, and do that thing. So that's kind of a challenge. Let's talk a little bit about you and your role in the Goleta City Council. You um, have been a big proponent of uh, childcare your entire career and now you've brought that to Goleta City Council. What, what's, what do you care so much about? T- tell me why this is such a priority for you to enhance childcare opportunities for the people of this community? Why is that such a passion for you? Sure, let me talk about it from the personal and then the political. Okay.
1: Um, so it's personal for me because I needed it. You know, I grew up uh, raised by a single mom. Uh, my, dad, um, my mom and my dad split and my dad went to the army um, and I needed childcare. Mm-hmm. And I had good childcare and I had not so good childcare. Um, and then later on as I got older, I had good daycare and not so good daycare. Mm-hmm. And so, on a fundamental level, when you're raised by a single mom and she's a receptionist and a bartender uh, at night because she needed to work two jobs, um, you know, you recognize that it's not just um, a social issue or a women's issue; it's an economic issue, it's a quality of life issue, and ultimately, um, you know, we can talk about all of the science and the brain growth and all the good things that come when you have really good, high quality early childhood education that sets you up for success in life. But just on a on a fundamental, visceral level, like if you're just not being well taken care of, you, you know, it's like you never had a chance, right? Um, you know, Elizabeth Warren wrote a, a great book called The Two Income Trap, and she talks about kind of the basic bargain that was made um, where you know, additional productivity was incentivized and women went into the workforce and the cost of living went up. And so there was sort of this basic bargain of like, well, we're going to need a place to put the kids and we're going to need some care, but we never really solved the problem. It, the issue got minimized. Um, efforts to do true universal child care failed. Um, oftentimes never even really getting significant public support you know, or even visibility. And so it's just this issue that's been allowed to languish. Uh, when I worked with um, a name you'll remember, uh, Roger Horton, yeah. uh, when he ran for the Santa Barbara City Council uh, in 2001, the thing that drew me to him, besides the fact that we had been in a leadership program together, was that he talked about childcare and he talked about it as an economic issue and a and a social justice issue, mm-hmm. uh, and he was right then, um, and if he were here with us today in the studio, he would say that he is right now, <laughs> um, but what what I'm seeing that gives me encouragement politically is that there are other people that are starting to take up the mantle. Uh, Megan Harmon in the city of uh, Santa Barbara is beginning to take up that mantle. I know that's an issue that Kristen Sneden really cares about. So I feel like I've got dance partners at the city of Santa Barbara that want to make a difference, because it's a regional issue, too. Yeah. There's a lot of people that live in Goleta and work in Santa Barbara, and if childcare is closer to your work, it's a lot more convenient. If, you, if something goes on, you need to pull the kid sick out of school, whatever it is, it makes more sense if they're closer to where you're going to be mm-hmm. for a lot of the workday when they're, when they're in care. Um, and likewise, there are a lot of people that live in Santa Barbara and work in Goleta because we have a lot of great businesses. we got Google in Goleta doing incredible things with quantum computing. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of good things happening in Goleta that Santa Barbara people can benefit from. So why can't we have a regional approach to child care? Mm-hmm. Um, the other great thing that's happening is we've got uh, Greg Hart uh, at the Board of Supervisors who... Uh, used to run a daycare center um, and really understands the issue as well as anyone I've ever met on both of the operational side and the political side. Mm -hmm. So I I feel very confident that he's going to uh, make good things happen at the county. Uh, In terms of what galita has been able to do so far, um, there's symbolic steps, but they're important steps. Mm -hmm. So Uh, We've eliminated development impact fees uh, for child care centers. Um, We charge development impact fees because development does have impacts, and we want to make sure that we're um, protecting ourselves in Goleta when we allow new development to ensure that we have the resources needed to support it. But what we've done is we've made a... a, um, we put a, a stake in the ground, and we said that if you're proposing a childcare center, we won't charge you development impact fees mm-hmm. if it's nonprofit, and we'll waive mm-hmm. 85% of them if it's a for-profit center. Yep. So that that can make a difference. Now we've also now just had COVID hit, so you know I'm really kind of taking a wait and see approach to how much of a difference this is going to make. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm but I'm I'm very proud of that. The other thing we did and. Uh, we weren't the first place to do it in California but we were one of the first was we um, created our own child care zoning ordinance so we had this opportunity because we've been working on the new zoning ordinance in Galita. basically how we operationalize our general plan and we've been working on it for years and years and years and when i got on the council we were getting close to the finish line and what i was able to do was to work with our staff collaboratively work with my colleagues collaboratively and really take a, a more a progressive, more forward-looking approach to the challenges to child care created by zoning. There have been lots of onerous conditions that make it difficult to get child care centers approved because you need a minor CUP, you need a major CUP, you have all these, you know, all these different ordinances and things that create friction, that slow down processes. And you know, I know that process improvements and permit processes is a, a controversial topic throughout the region, mm-hmm. uh, in some jurisdictions <laughs> more than others. Um, so I think that's a real opportunity for uh, some of our neighboring jurisdictions to look at this issue. Um, in Goleta, we were able to make it so that a lot more zones, you know, business park zones and other zones, office complex zones make it a lot easier to put child care closer to where people live work and play and i think that's going to make a real difference over time it's going to take time for these things uh, to really kick in um, but i'm encouraged
0: so you talked a little bit about when you were growing up right you needed better you had good daycare bad daycare good child care bad child care so can we talk a little bit about that because let me just talk a little bit about you without making you feel too uncomfortable. Um, one of the things that's always struck me about you is that, like, super, so almost savant-like, smart in terms of your recollection of things and the way you can organize things in your head. And back when you were a political consultant, I always think, like, the hell is James doing as a political consultant? He could be doing so much more because, you know, as journalists, you know, there's a wide range of political consultants and their intentions and all of that, so. Um, I've always sort of been struck at like, damn, James is so smart. Like, I can't believe that he remembers all of these things. And, you know, you mentioned Greg Hart. You know, Greg Hart is that way too. You know, he's like this encyclopedic knowledge. Tell me a little bit about growing up with the the single mom. And you mentioned she worked as a bartender. Is that what you said that? Mm-hmm. And a couple of jobs. I mean, how do you go from what would seem like a challenging upbringing to sort of where you're at? now what kind of kid were you and what kind of things did you did you encounter and what did you overcome so you know i
1: it was an interesting childhood um i i simultaneously had a lot of challenges and a lot of privileges Mm -hmm. i guess i'll say it like that so the privileges were that uh, my mom's parents uh, my dad's parents were uh, were were very comfortable upper middle class folks my grandfather uh, andy cariaco was um the controller at um at jordanos he was at one point i think the only non giordano family member on their board <laughs> uh you know worked with pete very closely and you know he was a cpa it was actually how he met his wife was he had a cpa firm here in santa barbara after the war after world war ii um and he was very successful and you know they were able to have kind of a country club life you know my grandmother would go to the tennis club of santa barbara and then go shopping at Alpha Beta and buy the you know buy the food for dinner that night you know that was kind of their comfortable life and on my mom's side um my grandparents owned uh, Turnbull Flowers which um for those for those who know Coast Village Road back in the day was a a fixture on on Coast Village Road and was a a major um yeah they had a big sign right on Coast Village and they had um You know, they had a big house and they had um, greenhouses and stuff going all the way back to where the freeway is now. So, you know, and they went to the Montecito Country Club. And so, you know, I had parents that were kind of exposed to that lifestyle, but they made different choices. Uh, My dad uh, was more focused on, um, you know, he went to the military and, um, you know, he did some other things. He worked as a mechanic for MTD. Uh, he later became a paralegal, so he had an interesting career. He did some some different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom, um, uh, my dad did go to college eventually. He went. He was an adult learner. Went to college as an adult mm-hmm. and uh, graduated college as an adult. Uh, my mom uh, gra- did high school, uh, but then didn't um, didn't go further with that educationally, and she worked in the medical field for a long time. She was a medical receptionist, mm-hmm. so she would be the person that if you were going to Pueblo Radiology, um, she would be the, the person there to greet you. If you were at the Cancer Center of Santa Barbara, then it was the Cancer Foundation, Santa Barbara Cancer Foundation. She was the person that would uh, greet you when you walked in. And she really had a nice way with people. And that also made her a better bartender, too, because she she could um, understand people on a, at a visceral level, like, do they need to lift up? Do they need to be left alone? Mm-hmm. Um, do they need an attaboy do they need a stern talking to and she just was good with people Mm -hmm. Um, she has so many friends my mom has so many friends it's Mm -hmm. incredible she's just one of those people that she's just like a magnet she just attracts people to her Mm -hmm. and um, so growing up with that mom who would work in a medical office by day and then at night she would work um she was the bartender at the Mecca on um, on Milpa Street, yeah. mm-hmm. and she um, you know was a big part of of that community and and really um, really um, you know got to know the Latino community of the East Side very well. Um, you know that it was real real educational for me. We moved around a lot of different parts of town. I went to uh, Monroe and then I went to Adams, so I, I did two elementary schools. Um, yeah. So we relatively stable we weren't it wasn't a new school every year by any stretch Mm -hmm. but you know my mom was very uh, very my mom is a very salt-of-the-earth person Um, she's not a judgmental person she is a um, everybody's the same everyone deserves uh, equal value and to be treated uh, fairly Mm -hmm. kind of person you know equity is a big thing with my mom and um you know so growing up with her it was challenging from the standpoint of you know she wasn't always around because she was working a lot you know so i if i wanted to see her after school and i didn't have daycare at the time it would be my daycare would be the the lobby of the pueblo radiology or the cancer center and you know, that was actually kind of how i first became politically aware it was reading the you know time magazine and newsweek and u.s yeah. news and in the lobby while i'm waiting for her to get off work yeah. so um you know, and then places like the West Side Boys Club meant a lot to me. Um, mm-hmm. I got to see Geraldine. Um, I got to go to the Geraldine Ferraro rally at East Beach oh. in 1984 when she was um, re- when she was running for vice president, mm-hmm. uh, and that really, um, you know, having that opportunity through the Boys cl- Boys and Girls Club really uh, impacted me. But it was a really it was a really different upbringing because on the one hand, I was exposed to tennis and and country clubs because. I was the grandchild and I could, you know, learn how to play tennis and have tennis lessons and some of those things. Mm-hmm. But then by the same token like there were times where you know, it was hard to make rent and we had to move and you know, I lived and we lived in a lot of different places around town and you know, the good thing about that was I got to see a lot of different neighborhoods and meet a lot of different people, but how it affected me is it made me I was pretty shy. I was a pretty shy kid. I, um, I, um, you know, and I, I don't think it was a natural shyness. I think it was a shyness because of the, of the conditions that I was living in. Yeah. Um, I, I think I am an extrovert. I'm someone that gets energy from other people and and bring energy to, to spaces, but I think it really, it really made me go inward for a number of years. Um, I was a pretty shy kid. I didn't have a lot of friends. Um, in fact, actually, kind of to this day, I don't have a lot of close friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of people that I know that I'm I'm friendly with, and you might even say are socially friendly, socially friends. Yeah. But I don't have a lot of close friends, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of that just has to do
0: with how I grew up. You know, trust issue. The ones you let in, you probably let in a lot, and so when you make that decision, it's it's rare. Yeah, right? probably. Yeah. And you uh, talked to me a little bit before about you just bought a new home, you're, you're moving in Old Town, and can you talk to me a little bit about that? And then maybe let's tie it back into uh, sort of district elections in Goleta, which is, I guess, on the horizon and sort of where you stand with all that in your sure. future. Sure. Yeah,
1: yeah so, um, so my wife and I um, are, are one of those, we're one of those couples that, um, that moved probably because of COVID. <laughs> so we had, a, we had a really nice uh, situation where we lived in an apartment together in Goleta for over 10 years, and it was a great space for us. And we had been thinking about buying a home for a little while, um, but we weren't thinking about buying just yet. We were thinking we would probably buy after it became more clear how the districts were going to shake out because we're going to go to district elections in 2022, mm-hmm. which is when I'm next on the ballot. Mm-hmm um but then with covid and just how things shook out with our living situation and our, us both working from home a lot um especially initially um you know we started being very tempted by the low interest rates and everything else um about the market um but there also you know there's not a lot of inventory either um especially affordable inventory so we ended up buying um a small condo in Old Town and we um you know, we're pers- we're in the process of kind of nesting and personalizing it mm-hmm. and um, just fixing it up a little bit more and we're really excited it's it's a, a very different um, on the one hand it's something I, I growing up I don't think I ever thought I was going to own a home uh, my wife told me that she didn't think she was going to ever own one either mm-hmm. um, you know we're proud that we were able to do it without you know family assistance or financial aid or anything like that we were able to do it on our own but um, you know it it definitely gives you a different perspective like getting an invitation to a homeowner's association meeting it's Mm just it just feels so adult (laughs) and it's just something I didn't think I would ever find myself doing Um, in terms of how it impacts district elections um, I'm probably going to find myself in the same district as at least one other council member. It's a bridge I'll cross when I come to it.
0: Are Um, you in Kyle Richards' district now?
1: Yeah, Kyle and I are very close. So is there a
0: scenario where you're going to have to run against Kyle for that seat?
1: I will, you know, you never say never in politics, but I can't see myself running against
0: Kyle. Yeah. So... But um, I I just mean in the context of when district elections happen, both of you will be in the same district and something... Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well
1: some kind of fair and equitable solution will will play itself out. But as far as I'm concerned, Kyle was on the council first and um, I moved into his area and it just wouldn't seem fair for me to put him in a position where he would... You know, possibly lose his seat because of me. That mm-hmm. just, as the person who ran his campaign to get on the council to begin with, <laughs> that just doesn't track. The ultimate yeah. act of betrayal. And you know, there I do a, I do a lot of things in my life, and um, you know, if if it means me not being on the council after that, that's okay. Yeah, my life will go on.
0: And so we've got district elections coming up. Let's transition into. Mm-hmm politics, you know, in terms of, we talked about the mayor's race. There's a lot on this ballot. Okay. We have Goleta Union School District.
1: Did you bring a ballot with you? I may need to reference one.
0: I'm only going to bring up the stuff that you'll know about. Okay. Okay. So,
1: well, um, I better know what I'm talking about.
0: (laughs) Um, You know, we've got the Goleta Union School District board race, and that's a big deal. And it's a big deal if you are in galita and of course if you have kids in the galita union school district and right now with covid everything's sort of heightened and i know one of the things that uh, comes with knowing jerry ms is people ask you for endorsements okay you know you're, you're an influential person in that world let's talk about the galita union school district and are there issues is galita doing great uh, we'll transition to santa barbara in a second but what are the issues there and how do you decide whether you're gonna support somebody versus not supporting them? Well, you
1: know, I think that what I will say is I have a lot of admiration um, for Cholet uh, Johangir. Um, I think that she is a, um, when I think about leaders, she's one of those people that I really think of as a leader you know she's not someone that's out there shouting she's not someone that's out there saying hey look at me um, she leads from her values she reminds me in a way of, um, of Paula Perotti. that way she really leads from her values um, and her values are really just fundamentally good and equitable mm-hmm. you know the the you know the, the the words that you hear people say about every child every chance every day know I think she embodies that kind of thinking and I think that the district while she's been a member um, of the board I think they've done some they've done some good things I think they have they have demonstrated that they deserve an opportunity to continue on as incumbents and I think they've earned the opportunity to get some more resources so they can do an even better job for our community's children, which is why I support the bond as well. Yeah. Um, but I think Cholet Measure is just... Yeah. yeah. I just think Cholet is just a solid quality person. Um, for the other endorsement, I mean, you know, the thing that, that people maybe won't always tell you, but I mean, I'll tell you, is, you know, sometimes endorsements are, are more personal mm-hmm. and less about... Um, You know, let me wait until I've seen every candidate's website, met with them personally, read any position papers they wanted to share, and you make some kind of calculation. Sometimes it's just this person's running, this person has approached me, this person's really solid. I trust this person and I trust their judgment. And that's really how I came to support Max Rorty. Um, for um for the district and i think that you know she's someone who has demonstrated through her career and through her relationships in the community Um, i've most recently experienced her through um the local elizabeth warren presidential campaign Mm -hmm. Um, she helped organize that she was very involved in the hillary clinton campaign in 2016 Mm -hmm. you know she's someone who i think has good judgments and she takes good stands and has good values and um you know, I think she will do a good job. Now, I know that there are other good candidates. And in the case of this particular election, I learned about some of the other candidates running after I'd already made my endorsements. Um, And while I haven't actually spoken with any of them directly, they haven't approached me directly. uh, Advocates for them have approached me and have made, you know, compelling cases for why uh, they would be worthy of consideration as well.
0: Yeah, and I guess the big backdrop to all of this and what we're seeing in Goleta and Santa Barbara and even the Santa Barbara County Office of Education is you're seeing this conservative candidate effort to to take over. I mean, there's so much on the ballot. Every race is contested because there's conservatives running for every seat. And so in Goleta, we've got a couple of uh very vocal conservatives who are trying to win those two seats. We have the same thing in Santa Barbara Unified. We also have the same thing on the County Office of Education. I mean, we've got conservatives kid taking on Peter McDougal, you know, and it's sort of like, what is going on? And so, let's let's put your pundit hat on, okay? Okay. So I'm always. I'm no st- longer an elected
1: <laughs> official. You can no longer hold anything I say against me. Yes. Uh,
0: okay. I've always been sort of struck at. And I say this as objectively as possible because I tell them to their face too, how poorly run conservatives, how how, how conservatives poorly run their campaigns and how, how they lack the strategy that it sort of takes to win. They run a lot instead of running one. They just sort of pick people and, and they say, run, and they try to plant them there. And to me, it's like, you gotta look at the voter registration. You know, this is largely Democrats. So if you're gonna have a conservative Republican run, they're gonna have to have some crossover appeal. And I have never quite understood why they don't understand that. Now, North County of supervisors, a little bit different there, obviously, but here in Galita Union, you know, we've got some conservative candidates and this is no judgment on on them. Like they're, 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 they're good people. This is about politics. And if you're a conservative, how do you win a seat when all you're basically saying is, here are my values, right? And, and I just think so many people miss the whole point of politics, which at least I, it's never about like who's the most qualified. It's not a job application, right? So you go and you interview, you pick the one you think's the best. It's about message. It's about you know money. It's about organization, and you have to play to win. I remember you remember Ian e. Falcone on the city council. Yes, I, I do. <laughs> I would talk to her, and she would. She remember she gave me this great quote, and I quoted her saying it. She got really mad at me. She said, I said, "She said, Josh, I come to play, and I play to win. And but that is so true. Like you have to play to win. What's your take on this conservative effort to oust these incumbents and? I mean, how do, are we ever going to see a strong, organized conservative movement in Santa Barbara, the South Coast, to actually tip the power? Or it's impossible because of the voter registration.
1: Well, I mean, the thing about voter registration is it's not static. Yeah. You know, the I think the thing that's hard for conservatives locally is that we have a strong local Democratic party, yeah. and they 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 commit resources to voter registration and supporting local candidates at every office. I mean, if we had a dog catcher office, they would be running (laughs) people for dog catcher. So, you know, we have a strong party. And... You know, sometimes that's a double-edged sword, and people don't. You know, you talk about yeah, and you know, I come to play and I play to win. You know, the party comes to play and they play to win too, and yeah. people don't always like that. And there have been times, frankly, I haven't always liked that. <laughs> and I say that as someone who has has been an elected member of that committee at the t- in the past, yeah. um, and am a a um, at least a um, an appointed representative now. Yeah. So. Um, So I say that with a grain of salt. Um, I think that the problem for conservatives is the environment right now doesn't match their message. So the only way that they're going to be successful is they're gonna have to find um, a new set of issues, a new set of messages that align with where people are going. California generally can be a place that is hospitable to conservatism. It has been. Yeah. We can get really reactionary and we've seen it. Uh, and we've seen it in my lifetime. So I'm I, you know, i not gonna sit here and say that they can't do it or they won't do it. Um, if they start registering voters and the reason they're able to register voters is because they have a message that appeals to a new emerging voter block. Yeah then they can do it. I think their problem is if you're you know a member of generation Z these days, there's not a lot coming out of the conservative movement that would really appeal to your value set. Mm-hmm. you know there's not a lot of inclusivity or equity coming out of their messaging. Um, you know we have we have generations emerging right now that are, um, simultaneously idealistic and incredibly impatient and that's not unlike the generation in the 60s that changed a lot of things didn't change everything and didn't change everything for the better certainly mm-hmm. but this is a this is a generation that wants things they're used to being able to get them by pushing a button and they think that they should be able to make changes and they shouldn't have to wait a really long time for changes so I guess if I was a conservative and I was trying to make it happen in the not too distant future I would hope that you could organize something that would appeal to those voters and then hope that by obstructing changes and blaming it on progressives that maybe those disillusioned voters would then come to you because oh well, these people that I thought were my heroes couldn't get it done, yeah. and then in the meantime, your life changes and your circumstances change, and now there's maybe an opportunity and they're up for grabs. Right? You know, young people in the '80s tended to be conservative, and they stopped caring about humanities programs, and and um, you know they wanted to go to business school and they wanted to work on Wall Street and. Yeah, you know, now there's not a lot of people who necessarily want to work on <laughs> See, Wall Street. At out. least, at least that I bump into. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, I, I have to acknowledge my own biases here, um, but it, it does seem like the data is suggesting that being a corporate raider, um, you know, and doing you know hostile takeovers is not glamorized and um, put on a pedestal the way
0: it once was. Yeah, and what we end up seeing locally is Democrats taking on Democrats, and. Then everybody complains about that because, you know, you've got this thing about how if you challenge a sitting Democrat, then the party gets really mad at you. And then if you even want to run, they'll ask you, well, why don't you wait? Why don't you run later? We'll find a spot for you. And there's this whole behind the scenes game that goes on. And so we end up getting these democrats feuding with each other and exposing each other while the conservatives laugh but the conservatives don't like you said they don't have the next generation of people who are who are running are you following what's going on in santa barbara unified to the degree you can talk about it with your multiple hats but you know you've got the three incumbents endorsed by the democratic party and then you've got uh the fourth candidate virginia alvarez who everybody seems to really like and they wonder like why wasn't she endorsed uh, i guess she did an interview with them she's you know didn't see the value of that endorsement or she wasn't networking with them that sort of thing but there's this thing now 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 it becomes a contest between the four dams for the three seats and i mean are you sort of following that i guess the question is you know how do you get around that dance like if you're if you're a strong democrat do you just have to play ball with the democrats to get elected or can you do, would you advise that they try to do it well, differently. I think, well,
1: I think Kristen Sneddon would argue that it can be done, yeah. um, and our, you know, she's done it. Um, and I also think she has. Um, I know I'm kind of dodging a little bit here, but <laughs> um, but you know I think she's also someone who has shown that you know you don't necessarily have to have the party machine behind you to get elected as a Democrat. Yeah. And I think she's also shown a certain amount of graciousness in office. That uh, and a willingness to, you know, to, to have a dialogue with the party and work with the party, uh, you know, we're on the areas where, you know, to borrow a phrase from uh, our mutual friend who's no longer with us, with us Dan Secord, mm-hmm. points of congruence. She's been able to find points of congruence with the party where they can find agreement yeah. on some things, not everything. Um, I think there's still some differences on housing and other issues, but, yeah. um, you know, it, it can be done. Right. Uh, but now to not dodge your question, I think... <laughs>
0: That well, um, you know, Kristen's kind of this sorry, I'm, gonna, oh, I'm sure. gonna I'm gonna allow you more time in your savant head to come up with an answer. The okay, but works. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh the thing about Kristen is uh, she she's she's from the community, you know, in Santa Barbara. She had the name Sneddon. Okay. So right there, as you know, the value of just the name recognition. So she got a lot of votes from conservatives who were just like, Oh, really? Kristen Snedden? I, I like that name. I'm gonna vote yeah. for it. And she's also really, uh, like you said, gracious. Like she's never about, let me pay this person back, at least yeah. you know, out, outwardly. <laughs> yeah.
1: She's really smart. Yeah. She's really likable. Uh, I think that politics is a different type of smart. Uh, and I think she's coming along um, with, the, with the political piece. Um, but I think that she's a very smart person. I think she wants to do the right thing. Um, I think she brings a different perspective than other members of that council. Um, and I think she's a needed voice on that council. So, you know, I think... I Is think Virginia
0: Alvarez Kristen Snedda?
1: I don't know Virginia Alvarez, so how can I really say that? What, what I'll say is Virginia Alvarez, from what I know of her, and I sit on a board that endorsed her. I'm on the Cause Action Fund board. So um, I think that she brings... A perspective and she brings um, an intelligence and she brings a level of experience that is valuable and uh, I think she brings a life experience that could be very beneficial to that board um, that being said I think the incumbents are really good incumbents um, I haven't always liked everything that they've ever done individually or collectively. Mm-hmm. But I think they're good people. They're in a incredibly difficult job. And they had what was at one time an advantage, but I think it's now a liability, of they didn't have to run a contested campaign to get into their seats. Yeah. So they're now truly facing the voters for the first time as incumbents. And that, it can be an advantage, but it can also just in terms of the the parry and thrust of politics and being in a candidate's forum, there's skills you learn from being in a candidate's forum that money can't buy and incumbency can't buy, yeah. and they're going. You know, you know, you know. Laura Caps has a, a different experience level in terms of that, yeah. but um, but the other two incumbents, you know, they didn't have to campaign for the seats; they got the seats, yeah. um, and I think that was a reflection that people were relatively happy with how things were going at the time. Right. Um, Obviously, there has now been a a bit of a groundswell of support, whether it's, um, you know, really grassroots or somewhat astroturf, to borrow a phrase, uh, (laughs) is open for interpretation. Um, But I think the incumbents deserve to be reelected, and I hope they are. But I also hope that Virginia um, stays involved, um, you know, speaks out at the board, and perhaps down the line, there's an opportunity for her.
0: Yeah, um, but yeah, I am supporting the the three incumbents. So let me sabotage you with a sabotage. No, that's not the right word. Let me uh, throw a surprise question at you
1: here related well, to. Well, you didn't the share it. You didn't share questions with me in advance so they're that's, all a surprise. That's <laughs> true. That's
0: true. But um, so. So, yeah, so we got that going on at Santa Barbara Unified. We have the same thing in Goleta with some conservatives. Um, at Santa Barbara City Council, we have a mayor's race coming up. So, you know, I know that you got friends everywhere. So what, oh, I, mean, yes. what, I, what I mean is um, oh, this does a feel surprise like question. I mean, uh-huh. I'm sort of going to ask you to weigh in with your pundit hat involving people that you're very close with. You know, so, but, mm-hmm. you know, obviously we've got Mayor Kathy Murillo, who is... Uh, are going to be up for a re-election. And uh, there's lots of perspectives on Kathy as it relates to her leadership. Santa Barbara is sort of ground zero for politics on the South Coast. Everybody sort of cares about what's going on. Do you see somebody formidable coming in and challenging Kathy? Uh, she's had some very public missteps. Uh, she's very likable. People like her. She's a very nice person. She's gracious and she works really hard. Um, so there's there's a lot of uh, conflicting perspectives on her as a person versus how she actually leads in that mayoral position. What what do you see happening uh, with that campaign? Well, I think it depends on which Kathy shows up. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I've got my pundit hat on here, so I you know, apologies in advance to all of my friends and, and neighbors who I'm <laughs> undoubtedly going to hear from in the aftermath of this podcast, which I have unwittingly agreed to. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that if the Kathy shows up that that ran for city council the first time uh, under the able tutelage of Mary Rose, I think that Kathy, that kind of street fighter, um, you know, passionate, fierce advocate for justice. If that if that Kathy shows up, mm-hmm. she would be pretty hard to beat. Yeah. If a more tentative, unsure of herself. Frustrated Kathy shows up who has trouble getting out of her own way, um, you know, or perhaps has trouble um, reconciling competing visions. Because, you know, every, when you're mayor, I'm not the mayor of Galita or anything, but, you know, undoubtedly there's no shortage of people that are giving you advice on what to do, say, or think. I'm sure she has no shortage of people telling her how she should campaign, what issues she should champion what things she should or shouldn't be doing at the city. But if a less confident, more tentative, less sure-of-herself Kathy campaigns, then I think she's going to have a tougher time. And, you know, there are candidates that have run in the past who could run again, who could be formidable. There could be new people people that emerge, because they always do. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I would take a wait-and-see I would take a wait and see on that one. I, you know, Personally, for me, if I was Kathy, I would want to, let's get through the end of 2020. Let's see what life is like in the beginning of 2021. And let's see how I'm doing, how I'm feeling. Am I feeling more confident? Do I feel like I've got um, my finger on the pulse of the council? Do I feel like I've found a way to balance these different people in different districts because I think it's I think it's important to keep in mind that you know Kathy Murillo is trying to to juggle something that other mayors have been unsuccessful in. We've had we've had times in Santa Barbara where the council was all establishment people. And we've had times in Santa Barbara where there was like an all- Democrat council. And you so then the fissures erupt between the more moderate and you know who's the most progressive and who's really a progressive. And you know sometimes that's as much about personality as it is actual views on issues. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that she has the challenge of taking a whole bunch of very different people, who were elected to represent specific districts. And there are times when the city is six districts, and there's times when it's one city with one future. And I think the challenge for, for Kathy is how can she rally around these six very different people, because they are very different people despite having a D next to their name, how can she rally them around the city piece as opposed to what's best for a district and you know how should homelessness be handled in this area versus that area and how much housing should be in this community versus that community. If, if they become more about six independent districts than one city, I think the whole thing is going to fall apart and it ain't going to just be Kathy picking up the pieces. I think there's going to be a lot of people picking up the pieces. So I feel like this council has an incredible opportunity. They have an incredible responsibility. Um, But everything's on the line. And I think Kathy's the most most visible um, person uh, because she's the mayor and, you know, the buck stops there. But she's got to get this group to rally around a vision. And I think the challenge for her is to articulate what that vision is and for it to be a truly inclusive mm-hmm. uh, vision. And I don't just mean that in the way that we're currently talking a lot about inclusion. Yeah. you know, I, I think there's a, a certain degree of political inclusion, business community inclusion, historic landmark loving inclusion, you know you know the the kind of the citizens planning association group vision like there's a lot of different constituencies out there um and it's it's a challenge it's a
0: it's a big job so you know when Doss williams was on the city council there was always sort of a feeling like this guy's probably going to go somewhere like he's very ambitious he's aspirational he's very smart and he's Great politician. Okay. Like we'd be surprised if he did two terms on the council and left and never did anything again. Um, what's your take? You know, when you sort of put that like rising star political aspiration perspective, uh, when you look at this council and like Megan Harmon, for example, uh, covering Megan Harmon feels as though you're covering somebody who's going to have a long career in politics and is going to do a lot of stuff. Uh, what is your sort of take on? sort of the next batch of leaders. And I mean, are you following this stuff close enough to look at Megan Harmon and say, why isn't she running for mayor? Or maybe she's gonna run for something really big someday. I mean, that's sort of how um, I sort of look at it. You know, it's like, what's what's her big play one day? What do you think?
1: I think she has the chops. I think she has the personality. Um, I think she has a lot of the qualities of someone that could be tagged a rising star. Yeah. Um, I would throw Luz Reyes martin into that same conversation just to put a Galitah person into the mix because yeah. I'm a Gleetan and I'm I'm never not a Um uh, <laughs> But as a but you know, putting my pundit hat on, um, I think I think Megan is Megan's going to do good things. I think Eric Friedman's going to do good things. Um, I think that people underestimate underestimate Alejandra at their peril. Um, I think Kristen, I think Kristen has a lot of good qualities. Um, I think Oscar has a lot of good qualities. I think
0: there's a, you can l- stop now. Okay. You're going to list everybody now. <laughs> I think Mike, I think Mike Jordan
1: has an incredible degree of experience and variety of experiences that bring and brings a needed perspective. to that. So council.
0: top three, we're looking obviously loose. You mentioned loose as yeah. a rising political star. Yeah. She's involved in everything. I've honestly never heard anybody really say anything negative. Like, even off the record, everyone loves her, at least the people I've talked to who trust me enough to talk about her. Uh, so, she's definitely got a, this great political reputation. Uh, Megan Harmon as well, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah. those are definitely two that you yeah. sort of look at. And then I'll throw a curveball at you right. um, Jennifer Smith is a member
1: of the Galita Planning Commission, yeah. she is the executive director of legal aid. Uh, she's been involved with um, a number of community organizations Uh, she's really sharp and I think that she uh, could be someone that we're talking about for years to come as well
0: yeah yeah I've watched her a little bit on the Galita Planning Commission you know and so she asks asks really good questions (laughs) yeah yeah let's talk about national okay so okay what's are you? Is wak- anything happening really though? <laughs> are you bothered, um, are you waking up every morning just sort of counting the days to the election? Are you worried about what's gonna happen if Trump is not reelected and whether he's gonna leave office? Obviously we have this whole appointment to the Supreme Court issue that's going on. Um, how affected internally are you by what's going on in the national scene?
1: I think if you don't worry, you're not a Democrat. I think it's in our DNA. Yeah. I, you know, it's just it's just how we. It's like you're always kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I'm worried. Um, I you know I'm simultaneously um, shocked but not surprised um, by this administration on a you know, daily, if not hourly, basis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I don't want to turn this into too much of like a Facebook rant kind of a thing, but I think that what is happening with the Supreme Court is um, is incredibly unfortunate. Um, it's very unfair. I think the the hypocrisy goes without saying, but I also think that at a certain point, I think we've lowered the bar in our politics to such a degree that hypocrisy. I, I think the average voter just kind of assumes that they're all hypocrites yeah. all of us um, you know and so that's why they tend to like the local people better because it's like they feel closer to a you know maybe actually someone that they see at the store and they can know them kind of a thing and like oh maybe you're a real person you haven't been changed by it yet uh, but I think at the national level I think theres a certain degree of just a baked in hypocrisy that people just assume Um, I think what's happening, though, is really unprecedented. I've never heard of an election at the federal level where someone who has been impeached is (laughs) appointing someone to a lifetime position of incredible power, one of three branches of government, only nine people that serve in that branch of government. And people are already voting On whether or not to keep that impeached president in power Mm -hmm. and it's you know i think that if we focus on the hypocrisy it's easy to say oh well what did you expect us to do we're in charge you know people didn't have to vote for us for senate they you know it's sort of like a don't blame a duck for quacking thing like well we're republicans what did you expect us to do um kind of a thing so you know for me it's less of a I'm less focused on the hypocrisy of it although it is sh- shocking hypocrisy and it's more just about the unprecedented power grab this is just to call this bare knuckled politics would be an insult to bare knuckles <laughs> I mean this is like brass knuckle <laughs> brass knuckle politics mm-hmm. um, you know and I hope that you know um, Democrats will will fight the good fight will continue to make the case continue to bring People back to the issues, rather than getting caught up in personalities and you know the the distraction of the moment that so often s- seems to come out of our mass media these days, um, and really just focus on what would it mean for this person to be appointed to the Supreme Court, as opposed to. What would it mean for Democrats in the election if someone gets put on the Supreme Court? Or what would it mean for Republicans in tough districts if they mm-hmm. vote to confirm? I think there's sort of a politicoization of our politics that um, I hope doesn't trickle down into our local politics where it becomes about what happens next and how does it affect people? Like, what they used to call in politics second day stories. Mm -hmm. You know, the first day story was, this thing happened and it's important and, and an inverted pyramid system of column inches and how much space you have, you would say these are the most important things and then if you keep reading, you get down the least important you're thing. You're telling End of training you have. I have awesome. a little bit of that, yes. yes I do. That We can talk about that later if you'd like. <laughs> um, it probably affects the way I've engaged with you as a, as a, as a consultant um, and, as, and as an office holder now. Um and I think we've moved away and we've made the second and third day and the weekend story the only story that matters because politics has become, at the national level, politics has become a sport and it's become entertainment. And this happened even before Trump. It's it's become a thing unto itself. Like we, we put ourselves into these camps where our identity to a certain extent is housed in which party we belong to and which set of beliefs we we hold, which things are most important to us. And then this game gets played at the federal level of what are the things happening that seem to be good for the team that's my team. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think at the end of the day that that's terribly constructive. Um, and we can go back through history and look back to how far this really, how, long, how far ago this really started and you know, was politics really more brass knuckles back in the old days you know, when you know, newspapers were the only game in town and there was no mass media, or if it's worse today? And you, know, and you could have a good discussion about that. But I just, I just think yeah. our, our national politics under our current um, people in charge uh, has really, really fallen short of what people need and what people should care about. And I'm hopeful that we'll have a course correction in November.
0: Now, we know what you want. Do you see a scenario where Trump's reelected? Are you really yeah. worried about that? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, I see that he's already making an effort to... Um, he's gone beyond norms. He's now going after institutions. And voting is an institution. Mm-hmm. It's a heavily distributed institution in the sense that, you know, county clerk recorders all across the country... Um, election officials all across the country are managing all these little tiny elections but he's, he's calling into question the whole legitimacy of the process and creating the conditions where people who would rather not lose President Trump will feel justified in protesting any other outcome
0: yeah.
1: and that's dangerous um, his embrace of militia movements and white supremacist movements is dangerous. There's this toxic stew of our civil discourse being eroded, social media being simultaneously an amplifier and an accelerant. And these little far-flung movements of people like Proud Boys and Patriot Prayer and all these other groups that are just rejecting any other result than the re-election of the president. He's, I, you know, I don't want to sensationalize like he's plotting a coup. Um, some people would argue legitimately that that's their viewpoint and they should be listened to. But he's certainly creating the conditions where the only possible outcome is a long drawn out post-election period where A, anything can happen, And B, it ends up in the courts. And he's trying to set up a situation where, at least from his way of thinking, there are people loyal to him who owe him something on the Supreme Court. And he's probably thinking, and this is speculation, he's probably thinking, these people owe me something. These other people don't owe me anything, but the Republicans, they should be with me. So yeah, they should throw out any ballots that are bad for me and count any ballots that are good for me. And if the people don't like it, tough. And that should frighten people more than I think it does. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, we should all care about our institutions. You know, it's a pastime to, to rip on politicians. You know, politicians rip on politicians, oftentimes to get a gig. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, but that pastime, that kind of sport, shouldn't get to the point where we're willing to let the whole thing come tumbling down because it'll feel good. Like you you shouldn't want to own the libs or own the Republicans so badly that you're willing to tear it all down. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, that's also how we have schools and we have churches with nonprofit status and all these other things that we get, regardless of whether what your take is on life and what your priorities are, if we don't have a a system, we have anarchy.
0: Mm-hmm. End right. of end of rant. all right james well i think we've covered a lot i don't know um you know bring it back full circle and come back to galita city council and are there anything you know that you want to talk about in terms of james carriaco issues in galita before we wrap up here
1: um you know i think i'll I'll put in a plug for um yeah i'll put in a plug for the council race we we touched on the mayor's race but we didn't really touch on the on the council race yeah um, is there
0: a race? I mean, I no, there's a race on the paper, but yeah. we've got a couple incumbents there, right? Yeah,
1: we've got a couple incumbents. And I think, you know, I do believe that the city's on the, on the right track, which is, you know, highly convenient for me, being that I'm part of that city structure. Um, but I do think the city's on the right track. And um, I am endorsing uh, the two, two incumbents, uh, Kyle Richards and uh, Stuart Kasdan, um, for reelection. I think that um, Kyle is someone that I know well. Um, I worked on his campaign in 2016 when he ran for city council. And I think he's a, a very dedicated public servant. He does his homework. Um, he's very thoughtful. Uh, he exercises very good judgment. Uh, he's progressive. Um, I think he's a very reasonable person. Um, he doesn't bring a lot of drama. He just brings a good work ethic. Um, and he's been a really good colleague. And, uh, you know, Stewart has been a... Um, a, a colorful member of our council. And I think he has uh, brought a good perspective on environmental issues um, you know, and, and other issues that I care about.
0: So, so who are these uh, challengers? Are they formidable? Is this gonna be a uh, contest here? I,
1: I think Justin Shores is early on, uh, at least on paper, proving himself to be formidable. Um, I don't know him very well. He, um, what I know him from is that he, um, he has been very visible in terms of writing letters and speaking. I believe, I think he's spoken at the Santa Barbara Unified School District um, against the Teen Talk effort yeah. um, to you know, promote sex education and keep keep our children, you know, safe. Yeah. Um, and I think he has a different view on um, on whether or not Teen Talk and that type of uh, sex ed curriculum should exist. Um, so I know him. I know of him through his writings on that, which I disagree with, Um, especially as someone married to a a Planned Parenthood staffer. I I vehemently disagree with him Um, on that. I haven't really experienced him much um, speaking out on Goleta issues prior to his candidacy, Um, but he is raising money, and I see yard signs, so it appears to me that he is running a campaign campaign that you know has a has a goal and a plan, and he has a website, and um, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the other two candidates, I don't, I, I know one of them pretty well, um, uh, Grace Wallace. She um, has been active with the um, Goleta Old Town Association, um, and you know she's applied in the past for a planning commission and other. Um, other roles. I think she's still trying to find her her niche and how she can best serve the community. And I don't think um, I would prefer her over in, you know the other candidates, uh, mm-hmm. the candidates that I'm supporting. Uh, but she's very nice, very nice person. Um, not not supporting her for council. Um, and then uh, Bruce Wallach, he ran for school board a couple years ago. I think prior to that, he ran for water board mm-hmm. once. Um, didn't really stand out for me as a candidate in terms of uh, having ideas that resonated with me. Um, but you know, wish him the best of luck.
0: So what happens if Roger wins and Stewart wins and, uh, Kyle Richards wins? Is there an open seat that that third person's going to get?
1: I don't, well, I think that that becomes a question about mechanics and we would have to look and see what the rules are. Mm -hmm. Um, my understanding, and this would probably, I would have to check with our attorney. My understanding is if there is an open seat caused by a vacancy, caused by a promotion, the council would appoint a successor to fulfill the remainder of his term. Okay. Um, I think we would default to that. Um, I'm going to need to double check this, um, but I feel pretty confident. Um, in the past, we've had one situation when Ed Easton Uh, Retired early from the city council because he moved out of the area. Um, The council voted to appoint a replacement who was uh, Tony Vallejo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he got appointed, and then uh, he subsequently didn't win re election in
0: um, in 2016. Right. Yeah. So we'll cross that bridge if we we come to it. Um,
1: Hope that's not necessary. Um, Again, my preference is I want to keep them both, and the only way for me to keep them both is for Paula to, to win re election. All right.
0: Okay, James. Well, it's been my pleasure to talk to you, and uh, I appreciate all the download of all the knowledge and information. And now you're thank you. You're I'm, on the record with a whole bunch of stuff. Thank you. you. No idea. I, I'm
1: looking forward. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the phone calls and text messages that will inevitably follow.
0: <laughs> all right, James. Well, uh, good luck to you. Everything you got going uh, going forward, and thanks for taking. The oh yeah,
1: time. thank you.